Welcome to the Emmanuel Church Podcast, where we believe God is with us and speaks to us wherever we're at, whether at work, home, or on the move. We'd love for you to be connected with us by visiting us at myemmanuelchurch.com or any social media platform using at myemmanuelchurch. Thanks for being with us, and we hope you enjoy this message. Hello, good afternoon. So glad to have you here with us. All of those who are with us here and online, you may take a seat. And if you're already sitting at home, well, you already beat me to it. Uh, but thank you for joining us here. Welcome to Emmanuel Church. I am Pastor Gabe. It is nice to see you today. And um, today we are continuing our series called Flip the Script. But uh, before we get into that, I have a couple of uh, things that I want to say. Um, excuse me. If I didn't pick that up, I was going to bother me the entire service. And I might kick it at someone. <laughs> um a few things to say before we get started this afternoon. Uh, we are glad to have you with us, of course, as always. But um, we have been talking for the last several months about the future of this service, the future of this church, and the future of what God is doing here in this place. We've talked about the uh, desire we have had that myself and our team and our, our pastors here at Templo Emanuel, I've talked about the planting of Safe Haven. Um, and there is an update on that. I know we haven't had an update in a bit, but uh, there have been a lot of things moving behind the scenes. And um, I've already spoken with our leadership and everything here, and this is a very difficult thing for me to say. But as of right now, Safe Haven, the launch of Safe Haven, which was originally planned for this August is going to be temporary. Well, it's going to be on pause for right now. Uh, we don't know when we will eventually revisit that, um, but it is something that is going to be on hold for a while. Um, it, it's a difficult thing to admit when you're excited about something and you want to get all in on something, and that's exactly how I am in, in this situation. But it is something that we feel as praying and uh, planning forward with this. This is something that needs to happen for the moment. Um, but but also, um, this service, Emmanuel Church, is going to be as well suspending its services soon. Um, not as, as like the whole of our congregation, Templo Manuel is our church. Our services altogether will still be going at our 9.30 a.m., but this 1 o'clock service is also going to be suspending. Um, it is going to be, the last service is going to be June the 4th, which is the first Sunday in the month of June. Um, I'm trying not to get too emotional, so i got to compose myself. I'll cry on June the 4th. That's, that's, when, I'll, that's when you can see me cry, if you want to see that. But um, it, it is a difficult thing for me to say, but... It is uh, something that has come in the light of something that myself and my wife, and uh, as we have been talking, um, that there needs to be some space for rest in my family um, so that we can do what God will have us do with our w in our lives as, con as we continue to move forward. So it is a difficult decision. 
Uh, we love this community. We love this service. Our team loves this service, and I've already told them today, I am thankful for everything that they do. I'm thankful for everybody that has supported us and watched us online. Uh, we love this community, and this is not an easy decision that we have made, but it is where we are at at this moment. And I don't want, I don't want to just suddenly come out of nowhere and say this is why I'm saying this in preparation for the next couple of weeks. Uh, I plan to try and finish series. I know I had said last week we were going to try and explore a little bit more of it uh, for as long as I felt, but this one is going to be, next week is going to be the last one series, and la- the last Sunday of Emmanuel Church, I will be sharing a message that uh, I hope will encourage you moving forward, because yes, although it is a sad thing, in these moments of sadness, there can still be something good out even if, as something that I have learned recently, and that something that we should all aspire to remember is that it is okay to hold two conflicting and often contradictory emotions about something at the same time. I feel uh, sadness, of course, but I also feel joy over what has been and so, yes, it's hard, and yes, it's odd, and yes, it's difficult, but there is so much good that has come out of this. And on that note, you know, I, I don't want you to uh, be sad. There, there's still going to be something. I, I hope that in the future that God will continue doing something here through this church, through these people. I know that this team isn't going anywhere. They are still serving in different capacities here at this church. Templo Manuel, and we are excited to see what God will continue to do through them and uh, in our lives, and hopefully your lives, so you can continue to tune in on our Spanish service uh, at 9.30 on Sundays, but we're still here this week, next week, and June the 4th, so uh, so I can change the mood a little bit, I want to get started into the message, I don't want to uh, on such, a, uh, I don't want to start on such a heavy turn, but we are going forward with the series, because there's still a lot I want to say here, and there's still a lot that I'm learning today. And last week we spoke on Flip the Script. We talked about how Jesus, that is that was kind of like his mission ar- around things. He came to step into the world and change our perception of our lives, of God, of other things. Uh, of what people had said even about God. He used that format. You have heard it said, but I say. He said, I'm here to change what you're seeing, what you're hearing. And today, we're going to continue exploring how Jesus does that. But we've got to start uh, somewhere with uh, with with Jesus. We got, we're starting today with Jesus again, of course, because that's Jesus. So we're going to learn from Jesus today. And we're talking about identity identity and when i when, when i was preparing for this message i remember uh, a vine if you don't know who, what vine is um you're uncultured no i'm kidding uh, if you don't know what vine is it, it was much like tiktok a short uh, an app that made helped you create like six second videos and people were so creative with six minutes but I'm reminded of one particular vine that I don't even know who the kid is or what, but it, or what it was from. I think it was from a TV show or something. But it's this short clip of this little kid, and he's looking at the camera, and he like 
calls out to you. It's like, come on. He turns around, and then he stops for a moment, turns back around, and says, wait a minute. Who are you? And it's like, he's calling you over, and then he's like, well, hold, hold up. I don't even know who you are. Like, let's get this established. Who are you? Who are you? And that's the title of my message today. Wait a minute. Who are you? Who are you? And we're talking about identity. This is a question that we ask ourselves all throughout our lives, especially as we start. Well, maybe not as kids. As kids, we're pretty confident that we are who we are. And when you're a kid, you don't really think about your place in the world. You know, you don't think about it. It's like, I, I just need to eat. I need to play. I need to go to school, whatever. You know, this is my life. It's not complicated. It's not complex. Sometimes it is. But, you know, you don't always, a lot of times as children, we don't question our identity. But as we get older, we start to. We get into middle school and we start, hey, who am I? Life is changing. We're changing. We get into high school. We're trying to figure ourselves out. And then maybe we establish ourselves. We, we have a friend group. We have kind of an identity. But then all of that sometimes seems thrown out the window. Because then, in our culture, you're thrown out into the world, sometimes with very little training. How do I do my taxes? Does anyone know? I still don't know. I am 32 years old. I have someone do it for me. <laughs> we're, we're thrown out into the world. Now what do I do? Do I go to school? Do I go to work? Do, do I go to college? What do I, I, I don't even know what I want to do, who I want to be in this world. And then we're faced with difficulties in life, changes in our circumstances and situations that sometimes cause us to ask the question again, who am I? Who am I? The COVID-19 pandemic, I think, had a lot of people asking that question to themselves because for, for, for a moment there, they were finally stuck in a place at home with themselves. And some of us maybe discovered we didn't really like ourselves or who we were or who we said we were. Or you discovered you very much, maybe you didn't ever believe, I one time had a conversation with someone I don't, I don't think extroverts and introverts are real. No, no, no. They're a very real thing. Extrovert, if you're an extrovert, that means you like to be around people. You get energized when you're in groups of people. You love to go out and do things when you're an introvert. It's like, I could be at home. Like COVID-19, that was like an introvert's blessing. It's like, stuck at home? I don't got to see no one? Do not? Amen. Praise the Lord Jesus. That's an introvert. And, and some people discover that's real. I talked to someone one time. It's like, that's not real. No, it's real. And maybe you discovered that because you got frustrated being at home and that you're probably an extrovert. You can't stay home. Got to do something. Got to see people. Whereas me, I was like, I'm cool. I'm good. You discovered new things about yourself. We go through that all of the time. That's why, that's why sometimes you see a lot of jokes about men that are going through midlife crises. Suddenly, when they're 50, 60 years old, they buy sports cars and, and spend all their money on things. It's like, what, what's going on? Midlife crisis. Except nowadays, you know, people have court crises too. <laughs> Midlife crisis. We're constantly asking ourselves that question, who are we? Who are we? Who am I? And that's a question I have been exploring a little bit deeper of myself. I, um, I've been going to therapy. I've mentioned that a couple of times now. I uh, love my therapist. She's been very helpful. Um, she's helped me realize some things about myself that I didn't want to realize or I was hiding from myself because we do that. We, we, we try to hide ourselves. 
We try to hide from people. We, we try to mask. We create a mask that we wear to have a certain identity around certain people. So therapy has been very helpful. And that has been helping me discover a little bit of who I am more. Things that I didn't realize. Things that no one else has really caught about myself. But more than that, something else that has kind of like shook, not shook like in a bad way, but it shook things up in my life was the fact that I recently went to see, about a month, a month, little bit more than a month ago, I went to see a psychiatrist, and I was diagnosed with ADHD. If you don't know what that is, that is Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. That does not mean that you are hyperactive all the time. It's a spectrum of things. Sometimes people, they don't have enough attention to give anything, energy or attention, and you're just, I can't focus, I can't pay attention to things. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have too much energy and you don't know where to put that energy. And it's a various spectrum. There's a lot of different symptoms about it. And I I cannot, I'm not an expert on it as I am 32 years old and I am just being diagnosed with it. So there's a lot that I'm learning about it. A lot that I'm learning about myself. There were a lot of things that I understood about me that I thought were, oh, that's just quirks. That's just me. me. That's, That's Gabe. That's Gabe. That's Gabriel. That's who I am come to find out their symptoms and markings of ADHD. <laughs> it's like, what? What? I'm sure you have heard and you have laughed along with me when I have preached and suddenly a sentence comes out like, what did he say? I don't know either, man. It's a symptom of ADHD because my brain is thinking faster than my words can come out of my mouth. And my words get jumbled up. My thoughts get jumbled up. And I, I can't communicate. It just it stops. I get stuck in my mouth. It's stuck in my head. Or it's trying to get out of my head, but it can't get out of my mouth. Um, yeah, it's, that's one thing. Uh, I always thought that I did math in a, a unique way, basic math. And I was like, yeah, that, that's just how I do it. That's how I see it in my head. And I have difficulty with math. I hate math. It's my least favorite subject. All of school, I don't understand. We have to take so much of it in school when we're not going to do it. When I'm, not, I'm a pastor, y'all. I don't need math that much. Like, if I need math, I can put it in a calculator. I can put it on. There are things, tools to do that for me. But I, I do basic math in a way that I thought was just something that was normal. And then one day I explained it to someone. And I'm like, that's weird. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's just the quirky thing about being me. And I was like, no, apparently it's a thing with people with ADHD. They struggle with math, so they have to conceptualize it in a different way. And so I do it that way, too. And it's this very weird thing where, like, let, let's give me let, let, uh, give me a basic addition problem somewhere. Four times four. Well, that's a 16. That's memorized. Three plus four. Okay. Bigger numbers. Bigger numbers. 15 plus eight. Okay. 15 plus eight. That's a good one because this is what my brain does. It takes 15 plus eight. It takes 15, it separates it into 10 and 5, then adds 5 and 8 together, and then adds it to the 10. In my head, that's what's happening. That's what I see. I see the numbers splitting apart, adding together, and then jumbling all back up again to get me the solution. And sometimes I still have to count on my fingers because I'm just not good enough. But that's just, that's just real. And I thought, I was like, man, that's just like some weird way that I do math. And it's like, no, it's apparently something that people with ADHD, some people with ADHD have, that they cannot conceptualize numbers some way. And so they do that. They kind of just jumble things around, take it apart into pieces, and then put it back together. And I was like, oh, okay. 
Well, I'm just learning things about myself left and right now. I don't even know who I am. I've always loved to read. But in but after high school, it became increasingly difficult to read um, because I, I because one thing with ADHD is we're motivated by the, the, the seeking of dopamine. That's a chemical in your brain that like makes you happier. Like, oh, yes, the ecstatic feeling. Dopamine. And we're motivated by dopamine. And so when I was in school, we had this thing, and this is going to date me. Some of y'all are not going to have any idea. Maybe there's one or two people that might remember this. There's a thing called Accelerated Reader AR Points. You could read a book. You could take a test. You would earn points, and then you could do stuff with those points. So my brain loved that. Anytime I would read a book, I'd take a test, and I would challenge myself to read more and do more and do bigger books. I, I read a book in middle school that was a 1,000 pages long called The Once and Future King. If you've ever heard the title, you might have heard the title because it was referenced in the first X-Men movie. Pre- Professor Charles Xavier talked about it. Once and Future King. It's about King Arthur. And I read that book because I was like, I'm going to challenge myself. It was worth 100 AR points. And then the test was five questions long. I'm like, oh, God, I'm going to fail this. I passed it, thankfully. I don't know how I did that. But that, that, it, I was rewarded that. But after school happened, after that went away, it became increasingly harder to read because I couldn't focus. I didn't have a reason to. I didn't have a motivation. I didn't have points to earn for myself. And so for me now, I, I, I often considered myself, because of that, lazy. And I considered myself a lazy person because I was there often things that I just could not bring myself to do. I could not get the motivation to do it. I could not get the motivation to read. And then I learned that it has more to do with how my brain works. And right now I'm on a a medication called Adderall, and that's not for everybody. Medication works differently for different people, but it works for me because something I found is that I can read again. And it's something that I've loved to do. In the past month, I've read six books. For the last two years, I've struggled to read three. But in the past month, I've read six books, and it's like, this is something that was me, and I thought it was me, and I thought I lost, but I found a piece of it again. So I'm rediscovering myself. I'm understanding myself. And that has even helped me understand better my relationship with God, my relationship with people, understanding how I connect and how I relate to people and how I connect to God. Our identity is key in that, is key in this. Today we're going to talk about a story in where Jesus' identity was tested. Now maybe you've heard this story before, and you didn't ever think that it was about Jesus' identity being questioned. But as I was reading this, I understood something about it. So before we get into it, it's John, I'm sorry, not John, Luke chapter 4, verses 1 to 13. And the title of the, uh, of, of the section in your Bible may say, The Temptation of Jesus, or Jesus is Tempted, Tempting in the Wilderness, something along those lines. And right before we get to this portion of Scripture, which this, this story is in some way, shape, or form in the, in the Synoptic Gospels, which are the Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, and these three Gospels have some reference to the story. One of them only has like a sentence that says, Jesus was tempted in the desert after he went there for 40 days or 40 nights. The other two versions tell us the longer story about what happened. And this version leaves out one part at the end. Uh, I'll, I'll mention it when we get to the end of that. But they all start before we get there. Jesus goes to John the Baptist, who is his cousin. 
to be baptized. And he says that this is ne- this needs to happen. All righteousness needs to be fulfilled. And it sounds weird to us sometimes. And it sounded weird to John. He's like, I don't get it. But all right, because whatever, let's baptize you. We're going to baptize you. And so he baptizes Jesus. And Jesus comes out of the water. And it says the Holy Spirit came on him like a dove. And that a voice from heaven came that he could hear. Some people could hear. But people that didn't understand what was going on. Some of them thought it was thunder. Some of them thought it was something else. Some of them actually heard the voice. And it was God speaking to Jesus and saying, This is my son, in whom I am well pleased. So in this moment, Jesus is confirmed by God. His identity, who he is, is confirmed by God. Not only to himself, because as a human being, Jesus was 100% God, 100% human being. As a human being, he needed that confirmation. Because we all need that. We all need to understand who we are. And then immediately it says that then the Holy Spirit took him to the desert and fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And so let, let's read Luke chapter 4, verse 13. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan where he was baptized and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Where for 40 days... He was tempted by the devil. Forty days. Forty days. That's, an, that's a significant number in the Bible. It's the amount of years that the people of Israel were wandering in the desert. It's the wa- amount of years that people were, uh, 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 were often told to fast. And it was an important number to a lot of people. And so it was an important number that for Jesus and representative of Israel's struggle. Who they were their identity and how they discovered themselves as a people in uh, in the Bible in that wilderness. And he ate nothing. And through those 40 days he was tempted. He ate nothing during the days and at the end of them he was hungry. I can't even go a few hours without being eaten and being hungry. 40 days. The devil said to him, verse 3, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. The up, verse 5, led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kings of the kingdom of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all of their authority, all of their splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Verse 9, the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand at the highest point of the temple. And he says, if you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from me. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in your hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Verse 12, Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished this tempting, he left him an opportune time. And then the other version of the story end after that is that then Jesus was attended to by angels and strengthened him and gave him So this story is something maybe you've heard, and maybe if you haven't heard of it, it's an interesting story. And there's a lot that I learned while studying this passage that 
Jesus' temptation in the desert is a parallel to the 40 years that Israel spends in, a, in the wilderness. And in fact, Jesus answers uh, the devil every time he tempts him. Uh, all the scripture that he quotes is from the book that we know as Deuteronomy. Now that is a weird book to quote because a lot of times we don't even talk about Deuteronomy. It's like, what, what even is it? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, those are the first five books of the Bible, and they are called the Pentateuch and the Hebrew Bible. The first five. And the Pentateuch and the five. Um, and so Deuteronomy is, in, in, in Hebrew, means the second testament of the law. It, it means to repeat the law. And so Exodus and Leviticus saw a lot of the law, and Moses in the book of Deuteronomy tells the story and, the, and gives the law once again as he is like on his deathbed. This is the end, and he's giving his last speech, and he's given all of it. And so Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy, and this is weird. Like I said, we don't ever talk about Deuteronomy, but in the chapter that he quotes from like one place, in like Deuteronomy chapter 8, I believe, and he is paralleling the same kind of things that is being pointed out to the Israel who in that same chapter is referred to as God's son. Israel is God's son. And so he's answering to him all these things. He says Israel can't live on the word of uh, on bread alone but by the word of God. Israel cannot, uh, should not test the Lord. Israel shouldn't do that. And Israel should only worship God. These are, it's a parallel to the story. And it, and it gives more significance to who Jesus is. Because not only is he being represented as I am the representative, the, the Messiah, this representative from Israel, the Savior here. I am also the Son of God in the literal sense that I am on Yet, in this story, it's so interesting that we find that Jesus' identity is perfect. I've preached this message, uh, this, 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 this chapter before. And I've always talked about the temptation. How do we overcome temptation? Well, that is important. How do we overcome temptation? Part of that answer, and part, part of the answer to that question is found in understanding how we do We pay attention to what the devil, the, 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 uh, the Satan, is telling Jesus, questioning him very specifically. That he's given to temptation. He's not doing anything so much for Sometimes when we imagine Jesus or uh, the devil, when we imagine the devil tempting them, a lot of people have like this image of like the angel on one side of the shoulder and the devil on the other side. Have you ever seen the emperor's new group that is like the best temptation of the And then uh, my favorite one, of course, in that is one one of Tom's the devil. He's like he's like reason number two. He does like a handstand thing. And he's like, I don't see what that had to do. No, no, no. Yeah, that is irrelevant to my message, but I thought it was funny. Anyway, yeah, we have that idea that, that the devil is this menacing kind of being standing there with a, a pitchfork and horns and flames around him. The Bible tells us, though, that he comes at us as an angel of light. We won't recognize him sometimes because he looks good. On the he looks good. Looks right. He, he looks fine. Like I mean, like the the there's a show called Lucifer, where it's the devil, and he's like a crime-solving 
like person. It's not the same Bible devil as the one we believe in, but the character of Luke. But he's like this good looking man and dressed in his. That's how the devil comes. He's kind of nice. And he's not no son of Aries. He's like, he's not telling him, abandon your plan. You should just turn your back on God. You should just do all of this stuff. You should just, you know, forget all of this and just do whatever you want, Jesus. Because that's what we think. When we think about temptation, we think about it in the way that it is something so nefarious, so evil, that we are tempted with all the wrong things in the world. That's not what the devil does in this, this situation. See, the devil, the idea of the devil, of who he is, the name that we often associate with him as Satan is not so much a name as a title. In the Hebrew, it's a title, which is why I said it the way I did, the Satan. And the Satan in Hebrew means the accuser. And so the accuser comes to uh, comes forward to Jesus and tells him, if you are the Son of God, if you are who you say you are, who even are you? He's not telling him to do anything wrong. He's questioning who he is. Because if he can get him to question his identity and everything else within the time, if he can get him to question who he is, if everything else is But it comes after God's person finds his identity. So who are we? Let's start there. Who are we? Who, who does the Bible say we are? We are, in Genesis chapter 2, we are told we are made of men. given a lot. God gives Adam and Eve in the story in the beginning dominion over the earth and says, you are to rule it, to shape it, to do what you will with it, to take care of it, which is something that we don't need to do. But if you are the image bearers, you are the carriers of who God is. And guess what? This applies not to just everyone that is here, not to anyone that just has made a decision to follow Jesus, but everyone, every human being on the planet, we are image bearers of God. Think about that for a second. Next time you get in there are some of the image of God. We're image bearers. We, we, we are made in God's Second, we are a child. The Bible tells us in the New Testament countless times throughout, you are now a victim. You belong here. This is, you are my child, my, my son, my daughter. You are part of this family. Not so much as a possession, because sometimes we think about it in terms of possession. We belong to God. No, it's not even that. It's we are family. Chosen family. We get to choose to be part of God's family. So we are The Bible tells us we are love. We are love. And nothing can change that. And nothing can take it away. No power, no evil, no darkness, no good, no person, no human, no angel, no demon, nothing. Nothing can take that standing away from us. We are love. And we are beautiful. You know, I've heard this uh, scripture, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says, you are 
created in God, you are a workmanship of God. Other versions say you are God's masterpiece. Beautiful. The psalmist writes and says, you are beautiful, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Or in other words, uh, another definition, you are beautiful and wonderfully made. You are beautiful. Yeah, we don't, we don't always believe those things, right? All of those things are hard to believe about ourselves. But that's who we are. That's who, who God says we are. God sees us. Along with our past, along with our, with our past, whatever you think you've made mistakes, all the darkness or whatever you think is what disqualifies you, your past, your personality, how you were brought up, your culture, and a host of other things that make you, you, that you is how God sees you. That that person is loved, that you are his child, you are made in his image, and you are beautiful and you are a masterpiece. It's awesome. It's awesome. But it's hard to believe it. Because even if we know it in our heads, have you ever encountered a situation where you're like, I know this this is true, but that's not how I feel? I know this is true, but I don't, I don't feel that way. I don't feel that way. We get it in our heads, but it's hard to live it in our hearts and it's hard to live it out. Because we have an enemy who doesn't want us to. We have someone that is against us. We have people that would like to use us for their own personal gain and control us. And so we live in this culture that wants us to do its bidding, to spend money, to build their own kingdoms and their own empires. And so then our image is tiny. Our image is tiny. You tell us instead that we are beautiful, no, you're ugly and you're out of things. Instead of telling us that you are loved, as I know, no one's going to love you unless you get the next best phone, the next best thing, the next, unless you have a nice car, house. No, and, and think about it, because that's what people give marriage advice. You can't get married until you have a good job, a car, a house, you can't get married. So what does that tell us? You cannot be loved until you have things. This culture puts this heaviness on us and gets to us and tells us you are not these things. So in order to be these things, buy from us, listen to us, let us control you, let us tell you who you think you are. And so they do. They tell us we're not enough. We're not enough. They tell us we're not enough. They tell us we're wrong. They tell us we're hated. By people who tell us we're hated by God. So God hates you because of who you say you are. Because you choose to identify this way, God hates you. They'll tell us these things. You see, our identity is so important and that's why it's so heavily attacked. This questioning of identity pushes Jesus to this point where he must respond to reaffirm who he is. They say, you need to do this. They're pressuring him to cave, to do something. To help us, to, to want us to believe the same as us. They want us to believe that we are not who God says we are. And the problem is, is that the more we happens, the more we believe it. And then what happens? Then we start telling ourselves those things. 
You know, it's because if something happened to me when I was young, and that's because that's why nobody will ever love me, because I'm broken. I'm broken. How many times have people told you that? I'm broken. You're broken. You're broken. Nobody wants you. And so we start telling ourselves these things. We believe it, and we believe it, and we say it. We say it internally, and then we say it externally. And so it becomes our truth. And it becomes more difficult, to quote the Prince of Egypt, to see ourselves through heaven's eyes. To see ourselves how God truly sees us. Because then, then it becomes normal. No, it's not. I I know I'm too sinful. I know I'm not enough. I I know I'm not smart enough. I I don't have enough money. I don't have enough this. I I don't do enough things. I don't have the job that everybody wants me to have. I I don't fit the expectations that everybody wants me to fit. And so some of us will will, will try and embrace that identity of of that, that brokenness that everybody tells us. And so then the message becomes internal and external. We're, we're telling ourselves what other people are telling us, and then we start telling other people that this is who I am. This is who I am. See, we have a way to push back. Jesus pushed back. But he didn't do it the way we think. He, di- he didn't do it in anger. He didn't do it. He simply responded and said, hey, that's not right. That's wrong. Jesus goes back to the source. See the temptations? First temptation we have, Jesus is hungry, as any one of us may be after our 40-day fast. As any one of us might be right now, even though we just ate live right now. They only left me one piece of pizza at lunch today. (laughs) I'm going to hold that over their heads for a while. Uh, I'm just kidding. But... We're hungry. So Jesus, I'm not, I'm not kidding. No. Uh, but Jesus is first asked, because he's hungry, he says, if you are the son of God, prove it. Prove it. How many of us have made a decision to follow Jesus and then have been asked to prove that we really are who we say we are? We're Christians. Maybe it's not, not in so many words, but we've we've been told that. Well, you got to prove it, though. You don't You don't go to church. I don't see you. I don't see you praying. I don't see you posting Bible verses. You know, I, uh, your social media has nothing to do with anything about God. What? Prove it. I don't believe you. Just because my language is perfect all the time and uh, a few words slip sometimes, that doesn't mean I don't love Jesus. Just because I'm not at church every week doesn't mean that I don't love Jesus. But we're asked to do that. We're asked to prove it. It says prove it. Prove it. And Jesus responds. He said, I don't need to prove it. Yeah, he said, Bible says, the word of God says, it's written. He responds, man shall not live on bread alone, but from every word that comes from the mouth of God. What he was saying there wasn't about food. It wasn't about bread. It wasn't even about scripture. 
It wasn't about the, the Bible. It wasn't about what he would, that wasn't what he was quoting. He wasn't saying that, because that's, that's often how that verse is interpreted. You see, see, Jesus is saying, we need to read the Bible. That's why it's so important. No, he wasn't talking about that. He was talking about what Jesus, what God, God the Father had just told him. He says, I don't need to prove who I am to you because my father just told me I am his son. I don't need to prove it. God tells you that. You don't have to prove it. If someone tells you, you don't go to church enough, you don't pray enough, you, you tell, turn right back in their face and say, and <laughs> Jesus still loves me. And I know that, but you don't sound too sure. <laughs> because to me, it sounds like you think you need all of that thing, all of that to prove that God loves you, but you don't. We don't. That's not... God's love isn't conditional like that. We, it doesn't depend on what we do for him. Something that <laughs> I'm reading a book called Attached to God, and I cannot for the life of me tell, the, tell you the author at the moment. So if you want to know, ask me later. Uh, it's called Attached to God. And one of the things they're talking about is how the Psalms are often this uh, group of, uh, uh, of songs and, you know, poetry. But half of them are about the psalmist being angry or upset or grieving. And that's something we often don't know what to do with. But in the end, they hold those conflicting emotions. That's what I was talking about at the very beginning. They, yes, they're angry, whatever, but they still point back to God and say, yeah, I'm, I'm still angry. I'm angry at God, in fact. But, you know, God is still faithful. Because they go back to the source. And that was something that was interesting to me. It's like they understand, yeah, there can be conflict here. Yeah, I don't look the image. I may not be perfect and all. And, and, and I feel like I need to earn it. But the reality is if we look at the Bible, sin and all of this stuff that people say is the thing that separates you from God doesn't. Because something else that he says in his book, the author says in his book, is every time we see someone sin in the Bible, God does not away from them but run to them David commits adultery with Bathsheba and he sends a prophet and says hey you're not hearing me Elijah is is feeling down in a moment of depression and, and despair and he doesn't know what to do and he wants his life to end and God sends him an angel to feed him and helps him to rest when we, when we are down in the darkness, when we, we feel like something is separating us, and I'm not saying depression is sin, it's not a sin. When things like depression, when things like darkness, when things like sin get in the way, God doesn't run. He comes back. He comes closer. We don't always feel it, but we don't need to prove anything. Jesus said, I don't need to prove anything because he said who I am, and I am his son. So it's not a matter of if, but who I am. It's who I am. The second thing he tempts him with, he says, if you will bow down and worship me. He attacks the source then. He's like, okay, he's going to go after the source then. His source wants him to die. His source wants him to face something that is heavy for him. So I will circumvent that and I will give him an opportunity to bypass all of that and take a shortcut to destiny. He's the son of God. I know who he is. Obviously. 
So I'm going to give him an opportunity. I'm going to give his human self an opportunity to bypass all of that and give him the power that he's going to get for right now. He goes back to the source. He says, you don't need to do all of that. You don't got to go through all of that. Skip it. Skip it. You don't need purpose. What is purpose? You don't need purpose. Do what I say. And Jesus responds, we are only called to worship the one true God. He says, no, you can't attack my source because I know who my source is. I can be your source. That's what the devil is telling him. If you want source for your identity, I can. I can give you power. I can give you this. I can give you But Jesus says, I don't need that because I have the one true source. And besides, you're lying. The devil says, I can give you everything. He didn't have possession of nothing. The Bible tells us that the earth is God's and the fullness thereof. And all of it is his. So the devil says, I have some authority. He's like, you ain't got nothing. My source has all that I need. You want to attack my source? Sure. But he wasn't satisfied. One last temptation. He says, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to get back at you. And I'm going to test you one more time in this room. I'm going to attack the I'm going to attack the identity. I'm going to say, if you are the son of God, throw yourself off of this cliff. Throw yourself off the temple. And you said God is your source, right? And you're his son, right? So do it. Because he says, in his word, the thing you keep responding to me back with, that he got you. And that's true. God's got us. God is with us. The Bible tells us that we are promised that. He will never leave us or forsake us. He is always with us. He is always listening. He is always there to hold on to us. He's never going to leave us no matter how far we feel from God. God is with us. And Jesus responds. He says, don't, don't, don't test God. See, you're testing me again. You're testing me and you're testing the source but I know who I am again. I don't need to do that. I am confident. I am confident in who he is. I don't need to test God. I don't need to test the truth behind his words because his words are full of love and affirmation and they tell me who I am, so I don't need you to test. I don't need to test that because I know it to be true. I know it to be true. He says, do this. And yet we will do it all of the time. We will question God as the source and we will question the truth of the matter, especially during this COVID-19 pandemic. It's something that I have seen a lot. I know God is a healer. I know God can protect us, but that doesn't mean that we should go out into the world without precautions with a virus that we don't even know nothing about and that we're still figuring out and trying to navigate because it keeps changing. That is not faith. That's stupidity. God will protect us. But you don't get into your car and say, I will get where I need to go and your gas tank is on E. Say, my car is a vehicle that is made to get me places so it'll get me there and there is no gas in the tank. That's not faith. Life don't work that way. But we question God, and we try to put him to the test all of the time. We question our source. And he says, I don't got to question him. Jesus fought back with that. Jesus fought back telling him, I don't need you to tell me who I am. I don't need you to be my source. I am not the things that you think I am, and I'm not going to abandon my identity. 
when it comes to us, we got to remember when people will come at us and tell us, you got sin in you, and God hates you for that. Say, no, I'm not my sin. I'm, I'm not the mistakes I've made. I'm not the things that I've, that I've done wrong in the past. I am loved. God doesn't hate me. God doesn't hate me. When people tell you, you need to perform, you need to prove it, you need to, you need to be at church every single service, you need to give all of the time, you need to pray all of the time, pray for five hours a day. Man, I'm a pastor, I don't even do that. When they tell you, you need to prove it. You say, I don't got to prove nothing because God's love is faithful. I don't need to prove nothing. I don't need to prove nothing. Because I am who he says I am. And I know that that's not easy. It's not as easy as just saying a positive affirmation every day and saying, looking yourself in the mirror and says, God loves me. Because if that were the case, we'd all be fine. But here's how you do it. Here's how we, here's how we challenge that. First, we've got to cut out the wrong voices. There are always going to be difficult voices to hear. Voices that are going to tell us things that are hard to hear. Voices that are going to tell us things that are difficult to, to, to wrestle with and deal with. Because they're going to point out stuff that we don't like about ourselves. They're going to point out stuff that we don't like about uh, our situation. Uh, and they're, gonna, they're just going to sound questioning and critical. And that's going to come from all sides. But there are voices in your life that will do that with only harm in mind. They would rather see you fail. They would rather see you fall under their control. They would rather see you bend to their whim and will than anything else. We have to cut out the wrong voices. Yes, there's going to be people we need in our lives to tell us difficult things. We need that. I told my, friend, my best friend a while back, uh, a couple, about a week ago, I told him, I said, I think, I think my pride has caused me to hurt people in ways that I didn't even realize. It was something I was talking about in therapy. I think that because I have this complex, you know, if you don't, you don't have to believe in the Enneagram or anything like that, but I'm an Enneagram type 2, and the Enneagram type 2 is a helper. And I want to help everybody. And I do that. I love to help people. I love to do things. I love to step in in situations. But one, that's not always good for me. Because I can end up burned out and tired. But two, it's also not always good for other people. (laughs) Because sometimes I'm hurting them at their chances of actually growing in the situation. Or I'm offering so much help that I am actually wounding them and telling them that, well, you don't really know how to do this. You just do it instead. And I told my best friend, I said, I think my pride may have caused me to hurt people. And he said, yes, sir. It was a difficult thing to hear. I'm like, man, he agreed way too fast. But then he followed it up. He says, but you're not that man anymore. You're growing. You're learning. You're becoming. You're changing. You're being better. You're being the best version of you. We need those voices. But if the voices in our lives are causing us to feel shame for our choices, for our decisions, for who we are, for our identity, if those voices are putting us down, if the voices are making us feel guilty, if there are people in our lives that are making us feel unloved when they should make us feel safe and love, it's time to cut those voices out. 
And it can be difficult because sometimes those are family or sometimes those are friends who have been with you for a very, very long time. But we need to work on changing those voices in our lives. Two, we've got to pray for that. Prayer is important. We've got to get connected to God, get back to the source. Jesus wasn't just doing nothing out there for 40 days and 40 nights. He was praying. He was connected to God, connected to the source. I'm not saying you got to spend 40 days and 40 nights in the desert in the middle of nowhere not eating anything to pray and connect to God. No, we got to be connected to God. Part of that is understanding who we are, getting back to the identity and saying, I am loved, and understand that even if I don't feel God, God is here, and he is with me. We have to be connected, be praying, get, get, get through that. And that looks different for different people. Prayer is so nuanced. It doesn't have to just be sitting on your knees or sitting in the room for 30 minutes or an hour every day, less than that or whatever. You know, what works for you works for you. How you connect to God, that is prayer. It is exposing ourselves to God and letting him know what's going on on the inside, the difficult emotions, the things that we're feeling, the identity problems that we're having, the struggles, the, the fear, the doubts, the anger, the, all of that. He can take all of that. Like I said, half the Psalms were about despair and anger and grief. And who were they talking to? They were talking to like, God, I'm angry with you. I am sad, I am despair, I am broken because of this is going on and you seem to be doing nothing. That's connecting to God. That's being vulnerable with God. And I know that's not something we're all good at. Because we are often told emotions are bad. We're told that and people quote the Bible while doing it. And they'll say, the Bible says that the heart is deceitful above all things. So don't listen to your emotions. Don't do what Disney says and follow your heart. <laughs> no, but we got to Listen. We gotta be vulnerable. We gotta expose ourselves to God because that's the only way we're gonna really connect. God wants us to connect, to be open with Him, who He is. He can take it. Believe me, He can take it. Because first, He knows. He already knows. And He's right there still. So connect with God. And third, gal, stop it. Get some help. In the words of Michael Jordan. In that one commercial. But it's true. We cannot do it on our own. If that means getting therapy, if you can afford it, or if you can find a way to get affordable one, or you can talk to us. We have some resources that can try to help you connect with a place that's maybe cheaper for you. Therapy is important. Doctors are important. Mentors are important. Listening to something, podcasts, reading, expand your horizon. Don't just stay in the same bubble. You got to get help. Go out and connect with others and other people who are going to be there for you. Be that voice of reason when you can't see it yourself. We are not made to do this life alone. And sometimes we're really wondering, why, why can't I get past this? And it's often because we are struggling at it on our own. And we say, I can't get past this. And God's whispering to us, yeah, because you're, you're not supposed to get it by, past it by yourself. I'm right here, and I've got people in your life that will help you get through. But you got to connect with them. you got to get out to them. you got to reach out to them. And that's not easy either. None of this is easy. But it's how we move forward. Would you stand with me this afternoon? See, Jesus says all of this. He says, get connected with who you are. Remember, remember, 
And that's what we're going to close on today. If anything you got here from today, the most important thing that I want you to hear and understand is the voices that tell you you are not enough, the voices that tell you you're too sinful, that God hates you, that, that you will never be enough, that you don't, you're not smart enough, you're not beautiful enough, you don't have enough money, you don't have enough this, you don't have enough that. All the list of qualifiers that will put on you, they're not spiritual enough. You're, there's too much sin in your life. If things are not happening, it's because you're not believing in not enough faith. You're not healed because of that. You're not getting through depression. All of those voices, they're lying to you. Because God stands through the darkness and the clouds. It says that the clouds opened up and talked to Jesus and said, This is my son in whom I am well And God is speaking over your life today. That's what I want you to know over anything else. That yes, you might be struggling now. Yeah, you're you're facing something that you just can't quit. Yeah, you're facing depression. You're facing darkness. You you don't know what's going to happen next. You're scared. You're anxious. You're worried. You're, you're there's fear. There's doubt. I don't know where I stand with God or my beliefs or anything around me. And I want you to know that the clouds are parted through all of that. And God looks at you and says, this is my child in whom I am well pleased. And it doesn't matter if people are angry with you for choosing your path. It doesn't matter if people don't understand or think you're wrong or living in sin. If God has stepped into your life, he's telling you, you are mine. You are loved. Nothing will change that. Father God, in this moment, for anyone that might be struggling today, the darkness that is getting through, the enemy that they feel is on their back, the culture and world and family and people, they're just putting them down, God. Bring a moment of clarity and peace here in this place or to anyone that is watching and let them know they are loved. And nothing and no one can change that no matter what anyone says. Compared to you, their voices are lies. Because your love is more than that, more than any qualifier. It is without qualification this is it doesn't matter you are loved as we enter into this last song we hope you've enjoyed this message we'd love to hear your story about how you've been blessed by this ministry or how we can pray for you to connect with us you can email us at amen at myemmanuelchurch.com And if you would like to support us financially, you can give online at myemmanuelchurch.com slash give. Also, if you're in the area, we'd love to see you in person for the full worship experience. Thanks again, and we hope you have a blessed week.